the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. I'm here with Tom Dobbins, and Tom, every week, gets us interesting guests so that we can talk about what's going on in the world through the prism of our Catholic social teaching. We continue our Lenten journey, Lenten journey of prayer, of sacrifice, of charity, and deepening our understanding of, of how those acts of charity, those acts of penance, those acts of prayer help us to enter more deeply into the Lenten season. Tom, so let's give our listeners just a little bit of an assessment. How is your Lent going? My Lent's going well, Monsignor. I, I'm, I'm keeping up pretty much on that um, that prayer that I had mentioned previously on the show a couple of times about come Holy Spirit when I go through most doorways. I have to be honest with you. I'm not overly scrupulous okay. <laughs> if, if I go through several doorways, but I've been doing that. Um, and I've been putting away kind of the social media in the evenings. I usually put it away, you know, about, you know, nine, nine thirty when I get home, I check it and then I kind of put it away. Um, and, uh, my rice bowl has been going well. So um, let me back up. Let me back up a little bit. Okay. So what's been your experience of, of kind of, how I'm going to get a little touchy feeling. So okay. how have you felt about, you know, putting up, putting aside social media after nine, nine thirty at night, how, what's, what's been the result of it? I, you know, I, I kind of, I'm a, I'm a kind of an odd bird this way. I kind of like, I, I live, I live alone and I don't have a television. So putting away social media has kind of given me more time to contemplate and, you know, it is funny. I, I like silence. So, like, when I'm in my house, I like it to be silence. My my friends always tease me. They say it's like the silence of the tomb. I said, well, maybe I'm just getting ready for <laughs> maybe I'm getting ready for the for the for the future. But I find it I find it refreshing, honestly. Um, you know, it's like you spend time with yourself. You can think about things. You know, you can kind of think about your day. You can plan out your day. You know, it's it's uh, for the next day. I enjoy it. I mean, okay. you know, it, it hasn't been terrible for me, I have to say. And what time what time do you kind of usually go to bed? Usually go to bed about midnight. You know, that's usually okay. the time that I go. So, you know, so probably about three hours or three and a half hours or so. So, you know, that's usually that's usually my timing. <laughs> now do you find yourself reading? Uh not as much. Um, sometimes, um, it really depends. You know, I do a lot of reading at work. So I just, sometimes I just come home, like I said, and I just sort of like, just relax. I sit back. Um, so, I mean, I call- so, so, so if somebody like had one of those spy cameras in your, your apartment, would you like be sitting there like a zombie for three hours? Just kind of <laughs> staring off into the, into space? <laughs> probably months a year, probably. Right. Well, we're not going to put sky, we're not putting a sky cam. Kim, we're not putting a spy camera there, but I was just like interested. <laughs> so I think, yeah, you know, because it's not a very big space either. So I usually, and I kind of use, I make my bed into a day bed. So like, okay. it's a day bed during, it's a day bed during the day. And then at night I move the pillows and I make and it. At night, a, is it a night bed? At a night, it's a night bed. At night, okay, it's a sleeping right. bed. <laughs> okay. That's, That's good. So listen, one of the things I've done for the past two lengths is, um, is to kind of, 
give up television. Now, when I say kind of give up television, you know, it's not that I've been cheating because I set my rules early on. I can watch an hour of news and, but not any of the like junky shows that usually occupy me and entertain me. But you know what? I've been substituting Hmm. and I'm recommending this to our listeners. I am, I've been substituting watching the chosen. Oh, okay. Now for our listeners, Tom, do you know what the chosen is? I know what it is, Monsieur. I've, I've, I've seen snippets of it, but I've never seen an entire, I don't know if they call them episodes. I've never seen a whole episode through. So let me, to our listeners, here's what The Chosen is. The Chosen is a series, and it's, um, there are three years. I think it's about three years old, so it's the third year. But it's all, it's all there. So if you haven't seen it, you can begin at the beginning. But what it does is, each section is about an hour, maybe a little bit less. And it's one of the episodes in the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it has a little bit of an Old Testament introduction. And many times there's not much about Jesus. So like there's a whole ser- section or a couple of sections which focuses on Nicodemus. Oh, okay. And so, but it does the biblical story in like little segments of it. And, you know, it's not a reading from the Bible. And they may take a little bit of liberties about things that are not in the Bible to kind of fill in the blanks that the Bible doesn't have. But it clearly is based upon the Bible. It clearly is the story of Jesus. And as I said, a little bit of Old Testament stuff. And I have to tell you, I have found it to be really, really very, very good. I would recommend it without reservation to our um, our listeners. Okay. Uh, because... It, it it gives you a different take. And I'll share one one with you. Um, I'll share you the, the take on, on Peter. Okay. Mm. So, I mean, everybody kind of has an image of Peter. And a lot of people like Peter because of, you know, he seems to make mistakes and stuff like <laughs> that. Well, in The Chosen, he's a little bit different. He's, oh. he, he's an operator in there. Interesting. Kind of like a, a little bit of an operator you know, he does play a little bit of a ball with the Romans in spying on the, oh. the the Jewish fishing boats who were out on the Sabbath. And, you know, he's, he's got a little bit of a different take on huh. a, a little bit of a character. You would, you know, you, you'd kind of want to keep your eye on him if he <laughs> were part of your your group, because he's always got a little bit of a slightly different take. And he's a little bit of an entrepreneur and an operator. And so it's kind of a um, kind of an interesting take on Peter. Oh, that's cool, Monsieur. That's neat. I have to check it out. I, like I said, I've only seen snippets, but I have to, I have to make a commitment. Not when I, not during my social media fast. <laughs> well, but here's what I would say, Tom. Mm-hmm. I don't think that qualifies as social media. Okay. All right. Okay. Very good. Okay. That's like, you know, that's like reading the Bible in a, in a visual format. Okay. You know, okay. it's not, I, so, I mean, that's where I think, you know, it, it, we gotta be a little, we gotta be careful because, and the other thing, which I want to say to our listeners about Latin practices is they don't have to be bad things. In other words, they can be enjoyable. So as Tom, you said, you're enjoying a little bit of the solitude. Yeah. So it doesn't have to like hurt. It can mm-hmm. be a, it can be a very good uplifting thing which we wouldn't have done in other parts of the year. And that 
can be part of our Lenten practice because the whole purpose of the Lenten practice is to grow deeper into the mystery of Jesus and the mystery of his cross and resurrection. And if we do that in an uplifting way, or if we sometimes do it in a negative way, um, it, it's all part of that. So anyway, enough about Lent. we got 40 <laughs> days to deal with Lent. I am just enthused about our first guest. And uh, thank you for uh, rounding up Adina Lichtman, who is the founder, entrepreneur of a com- company called Knock, Knock, Give a Sock. Adina Lichtman, thank you for joining us on uh, on Just Love. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here now. Thank you for having us. So am I. So, so okay, got to ask, got to ask first and foremost, how'd you come up with the name? Knock, uh, Knock, Give a Sock. Well, it was one time when I was in college giving out sandwiches to some of my neighbors living on the street. And one man said, ma'am, it's so nice you're giving out sandwiches. But one thing we could really use are socks. And I very quickly realized that my socks weren't going to fit him. (laughs) So I had to literally knock on every door on my floor. In about 15 minutes, I got over 40 pairs of socks. And that's how we got the name Knock, Knock, Give a Sock. That's pretty good. That's pretty cool. So I would call you the the grassroots version of Bombas. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> and the nonprofit version. But yes, right. amazing. Well, I love Bombas. They give us 50,000 pairs of socks every year. Well, I'm glad they do because I can't afford to buy them. So expensive. <laughs> Aren't so- they? I thought I was going to be really, you know, I, one day I said, well, let me buy a pair and like I'll contribute with well, after I looked how much they were, I then went to Walmart and I bought 15 pairs of socks for homeless people for what I was going to have to pay for one Bombas pair. Oh, my God. You made the right choice. <laughs> yeah, but, but I got to tell you, they are good socks because somebody gave me a pair as a gift. Oh, they're very comfortable. Yeah, they are. But, you know, but that's the difference. Anyway, anyway, so, so tell us. Tell, tell, so what's going on? So after you knocked on a few doors and you got 40 pairs of socks, where'd you go so with them? Then the next morning I opened my door and I saw that I had another 20 socks for people who were doing the laundry or didn't have them in it. And then I made a little Facebook group. And before I knew it, we were on 20 college campuses and had collected over 50,000 pairs of socks. And basically my parents were like, Adina, you need to get these socks out of our garage. <laughs> so that meant I had to raise money. So I had to become a formal nonprofit. Uh, that actually helped with some sock companies that started matching our donations. Um, but that was crazy. And before I knew it, I had become a sock celebrity on campus. And I would ask the students, I would, I would be asked to speak to different groups of students, synagogues, churches, college classrooms, even some local businesses that start collecting socks wanted me to come in and speak. And I'd always ask the audience two questions. I would say, raise your hand if you've ever given money, food, or clothing to someone in need. And almost everyone would raise their hand. And then I'd say, who here can tell me the name of one person experiencing homelessness? And almost no one could. And I realized that there was this massive disconnect between communities of people who were giving and actually knowing the people that they were giving to. And even more than that, what I noticed was there was this massive stigma around homelessness. We love our neighbors who are living on the street and we give them compassion and care, but also our neighbors living in the street here in New York City 
are only about 5% of homelessness in New York City. 95% are living in shelters. But when people hear the word homeless, what they think about is our neighbor on the street corner with a cardboard sign, long hair, all these different stigmas and stereotypes around homelessness. When really homelessness is the person who has three kids and can't afford childcare, the person who just lost his job, the person who got hurt on the job site, person who went, you know, who went to prison and afterwards couldn't get a job afterwards. These are the faces of homelessness. These are the stories. And so many of them are just trying to get back on their feet. We're speaking with Adina Lichtman, who is the founder of Knock Knock Give a Sock, and uh, telling us about the experience she had and how she kind of got this organization off the ground. Did you grow up in New York? I actually grew up in New Jersey. Okay. And I was the kid who like knew the mailman, knew the security guard, like knew my bus driver, just knew everybody. So when it came to New York City and I didn't know anybody, I very quickly made it my business to get to know everybody. And that meant the Starbucks barista and my neighbor living on the street. And that was very much making my New York City experience a very personal experience. So, um, so now I know you talked about, which I think is really, really good in terms of like people want to help homeless people, but they didn't know home, no homeless people. Um, so there's another part to what you do also, isn't there? Not only giving of socks, but talk to us a little bit about some of you do in terms of the meals you sponsor. So basically after I, my senior year of college, I realized that people really didn't know their neighbors who were experiencing homelessness. So my senior year of college, I decided to bring 50 of my college classmates and 50 people living in local homeless shelters to have dinner side by side. And by the end of the dinner, college students couldn't tell who was their classmate and who was living in a local homeless shelter. And we had two rules. No one was allowed to serve food to anybody else. We all shared the meal. And the other thing is you had to sit next to someone who you hadn't met before walking into that room. So by the end of the night, the room was buzzing. People were keeping in touch. People were exchanging contact information. And really more than anything else, the stigma around homelessness began to dissipate, which is really the magic of the event. And I had started Knock Knock Give a Sock thinking it was just going to be a college project. And after I had done this first dinner, that's when I wanted it to become my career. And we actually, that's when our mission statement became humanizing homelessness one sock at a time by turning transactions into interactions. And those transactions are the sock drives and those interactions are our meet your neighbor meals. Wow, that's how that sounds incredibly good. It, it it doesn't quite grab me like knock knock give a sock, but it, it but it doesn't. It that's just our that's our that's our motto. Okay, okay, that's uh, uh, is that is uh, so. Are you still doing the meals? Yeah. So uh, knock knock give a sock today. I've been running knock knock give a sock now. Six years full time, five years on payroll, three years with some colleagues working with me. So we're small but still growing. We do about three meet your neighbor dinners a month, and two of them are usually with corporate companies. So, for example, JP Morgan will do a sock drive. And then afterwards, we'll offer them a meet your neighbor dinner where we bring 25 of their employees and 25 people living in local homeless shelters to have dinner side by side. So, we're doing about two of those a month. And once a month, we actually open up these meet your neighbor dinners to the public where anyone can purchase a ticket for $35. Um, and we have 25 slots for ticket sales. And then we invite 25 of our neighbors coming from shelters to have dinner side by side. And we do that every month on the Lower East Side. 
So, so you could get one ticket to a dinner or one bomber sock. Exactly. <laughs> that's, hey, that's a good, that's a good price point. $35. Thank you. We figure it, it covers our costs. Uh, yeah. most. <laughs> and then, um, just to zoom out a little bit, uh, not going to give a sock today has four different pillars to our organization. One is we distribute half a million socks a year. Uh, that's our sock pillar while also hiring people living in local homeless shelters to help us distribute those socks through our socks as job program. The second pillar are these meet your neighbor lunches and dinners that we do. The third pillar are two major community events we have every year. One is a holiday carnival. 100 kids living in local homeless shelters. We got Santa, gift giveaways, bouncy houses, you name it, we have it. Um, and the other community event we do is called our Wood Sock, not Woodstock, Wood Sock Music Festival, where we bring three artists living in homes and three artists living in shelters to perform on stage. And the last pillar is our education pillar in which we wrote a set of children's books on homelessness, as well as having schools come in and do school trips uh, and learning about homelessness and doing service projects with us. We're speaking with Adina Lichtman, who is the founder of Knock Knock Give a Sock, and it's going strong now after five years. But I heard you you a little bit, I thought you a little bit um, looking down at Woodstock. You wanted to make sure it wasn't Woodstock. I didn't didn't like that, that <laughs> in connotation. I don't know. Oh, we love Woodstock, but we love puns even more. So Woodstock felt quite fitting for Knock Knock Give a Sock. Well, and, and the reason I say that is me being old and decrepit. I was actually at Woodstock. Wow. Oh and that God. was like before you were even born or even before you were even thought about. It was- I know. I, I, I wish I could have gone. Unfortunately, I wasn't alive yet, but I, right. I went to Burning Man this past summer to kind of fill that void. But, it, it you know, okay. I don't think it's at Woodstock. Well, but you can only do what you can do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but I got to ask you about one other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I love your your ability to kind of rhyme things. So tell me about Create a Date. Create a Date. Oh my gosh. Right. That's still on my LinkedIn, isn't it? Yeah. Um, back in the day, my first entrepreneurial, one of my first entrepreneurial projects was me and my two roommates. Um, we started something called Create a Date where I don't think the website exists anymore, but you would sign up for either a first date or a long-term date. We weren't finding people their dates. You had to come with your date, but we would basically, we had like a first date option and then like a long-term relationship option. I think the second one was called Spice Maker. I don't remember what the first one was called. And basically you would put in your price point. You would put in the date that you're like available to go. And then um, you would meet us. Then we would send you an email saying, meet us at this street corner. And they would get a bag with different activities and also an itinerary for all the things that they were doing that day that was all prepaid for them. My parents were so excited that I had a for-profit venture. They were very <laughs> upset when I went the nonprofit route. <laughs> <laughs> was it successful? Create a date? It's interesting. I actually think, I mean, we had probably like 30 or 40 people sign up to go on dates with us through like our network. Yeah. Um, if I knew then what I knew now after starting a successful nonprofit that has become my career, I think it could have been actually very successful. But, um, you know, I, I went the nonprofit route. My other roommate became a chef. The other became a nurse. 
and we all got consumed with these other passions of ours that this project, uh, we never really made a penny off of it. We probably lost money in the process, but we had a whole lot of fun. So let me, let me, let me ask you a question. I mean, everybody's talking about uh, homelessness today in New York City. I mean, it's a topic and it's, it's for many, many different reasons. So what's the solution? So I think there's one solution and it's literally in the word homelessness, right? The solution is a home, right? Housing. I think we are living in a time where a lot of government politicians, even people living in homes are very much of the like idea of, I just don't want to see it. Right. If they're, they don't even know about people living in shelters. They're just like, I don't want to see people on the streets. I pay X amount. I don't want to see people on the street or it hurts. Or even people who are more empathetic were like, no one should be living on the streets. Right. So then there are solutions to get people super quickly into shelters, but Shelters are really difficult places. They're not a place where it's easy for anyone to get back on their feet. And the quickest solution to get people back on their feet is to get them into housing. Now, in the law, it's actually interesting. In the short term, putting people in shelters is a cheaper, more effective option. In the long term, actually, uh, the amount the city spends per person experiencing homelessness over the course of the year is actually more money in the shelter system per person than it would be if they actually got them housing um, or more permanent housing, as well as that person would be able to get back on their feet. So the big solution is housing, but it's a bigger um, money investment upfront in the short term, which is why we just keep putting band-aids on the issue by putting people in shelters as opposed to really solving the issue, which is making housing more accessible. Well, I think you clearly identified what is a critically critical issue is the issue of of housing that people can can afford. The other issue, which is 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 part of the the problem, is that a number of the people, a number of our individuals who um, who are either in shelters or on the street, there are also questions of 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 mental illness. There's issues of of addiction. How do we how do we kind of address those those issues? I am so happy you asked that question. So when I speak in different places, I always say, who here knows somebody who suffered from addiction? Everyone raised their hand. Who here knows somebody who suffered from mental health issues? Everyone raised their hand. Who here knows somebody who's ever had a learning disability? Everyone raised their hand. Then I say, who here knows somebody who's homeless? Almost nobody raises their hand. The causes around homelessness exist and are permeate every single community. The difference is if you've grown up in poverty or you come from, or you don't have the networks or your family's not able to help you out on supporting these issues, that's when homelessness comes into play, right? So all of these issues, homelessness is at the crossroads, right? And there's also health issues, which we can't forget about. And there's like, there is so many different issues, right? Reentry after incarceration, there are so many reasons that are barriers for people to be able to get stable and get back on their feet. Um, so we need to address all of those issues, but I don't think that we can address addiction, mental health, any of these different disabilities without being like, okay, here's a home. Let's put you in supportive housing. Now let's deal with this, right? When you're sleeping in a room with 25 people and you have an addiction or you have mental health issues, I promise you your issues, no matter how much 
outpatient research, you know, programs you're going to, it is not going to get better. It is the worst environment for these people who are extremely vulnerable. Um, and that's, that's what I would say in, in regards to those issues. So, uh, Dina, what's the next step for Knock Knock Give Us Up? So the next step for Knock Knock Give Us Up is I think we have finally bounced back from the post-pandemic era. We wrote our children's book during the pandemic when we couldn't do any Meet Your Neighbor right. events. Uh, and now we're we're back in full swing. Um, as I mentioned before, we have those four main pillars, uh, focusing on education, focusing on building networks and connections through these Meet Your Neighbor dinners where people are able to network and advocate for themselves and potentially even find job opportunities. We have the two community events. Um, so, and what I'd say now is we are trying to make our organization grow uh, and get bigger and bigger every year, have more and more programs. This year we have set a goal for last year because of the pandemic, we could only start doing events in the second half. We did around like 10 events. This year we're focused on doing 24 meet your neighbor dinners plus our holiday carnival and our Woodstock Music Festival. So we have a lot coming down the pipeline. So if somebody wanted to help your organization or get involved, how would they do that? Okay, great. So I'm glad you asked. So if you sign up on our, uh, if you go to our website, kkgs.org, you will see, um, you'll see a link to purchase a set of books. If you want to talk to your family about homelessness, if you want to set up a soft drive, uh, you can reach out to us via our website. If you have a company or community that you'd want to get involved in meet your neighbor dinner, you can also send us a message on the contact us page. Uh, and if you follow us on Instagram, uh, that's when we're regularly posting all of our monthly meet your neighbor events, which people can purchase a ticket for. Also, if you send us an email, and want to get on our list serve, uh, that's also how you'll have access to these different events coming up. Did you say, go back a little bit, because did you say one of the opportunities to get involved would be to host a dinner? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, faith groups, community groups, uh, companies can all host a dinner and they get in touch with us and we're able to help facilitate dinner um, and create that dinner in their offices, in their houses of worship, in their community centers. Uh, we love to do that. Great. Adina Lickman, the founder and an entrepreneur, Knock Knock, Give Us Hock. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I'm delighted that we had the opportunity to speak. And thanks so much for what you're doing. You are, you know, making a, a really, really important contribution to some of our neighbors who, you know, not only don't have socks, but they don't have a home. And so thank you so much for what you're doing. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for amplifying all the good work we're doing out there. So I'm super grateful for you having me on this show and Great. for all the good, the good word that you're spreading around. Well, and the other, the other thing, um, before you were there, um, <clears throat> we're fellow alums, although I didn't go to this social work school. I went to the Wagner school of NYU. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I think retrospectively, I should have gone to that school. <laughs> well, well, actually, they used to be right next to each other. One oh, really? Was, one was two Washington Square North and Wagner was four Washington Square North. Wow. So, oh, so. Looking back, I should have gone there. That would have been a bit more helpful for my career. But Google okay. has helped throughout the entire process. How do I set up a 501c3? How do I write a tax receipt? How do I? Google has been the best colleague out there. Anyway, thank you so much for being with us. Adina Lickman, founder of Knock Knock, Give a Sock. Tom, um, I think it's time for us to take a break. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 
Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Uh, We just had a wonderful conversation with Adina Lickman about dealing with on a very, very real way, a real issue facing people who are homeless, basic things, socks are things that people do not have. Um, and so uh, we, it was a very interesting approach, a very good approach, a very straightforward approach. I'm glad we were able to speak about that. We're going to go now a little bit broader. It is the 10th anniversary of Pope Francis becoming Pope. And obviously the Pope always has a voice in the international community. And recently there's been a lot of talk about the Holy See and um, what the role in possibly mediating the war between Russia and Ukraine and, but also There's been relationships with China, but also some of the new relationships between the Holy See and the nation of Amman. And so uh, there's a lot going on. And so I'm delighted that on this 10th anniversary of Pope Francis, we're going to be speaking. We will be speaking with Victor Gaetan, who is a writer, a contributor, uh, author of God's Diplomats, Pope Francis, Vatican Diplomacy, the American Armageddon. He 
writes for Foreign Affairs Magazine, the National Catholic Register. Victor Gayatan, thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. Thank you very much, uh, Monsignor Sullivan, for inviting me on your show. Great. So listen, give our listeners just a little bit of background. How did you get uh, interested in this particular area? How was this of interest to you? That, yeah, right. This is a question that uh, uh, a number of people are asking me. Um, I uh, uh, covered the uh, Catholic Church for in on four continents for over 20 years. Uh, as I went around, I recognized, I discovered one major element, the good work that the Catholic Church does that is in fact not known by the general public. And the question then is, why is that? Well, uh, first, because Catholic uh, uh, diplomats uh, vow secrecy, then as uh, uh, priests, all diplomats are priests, they are trained to be discreet. Um, There is also a personal factor Back in uh, communist Romania, as a child, I witnessed the exceptional work done uh, through Vatican diplomacy. The uh, church, the Catholic church that has been suppressed and uh, obliterated, uh, basically, as communism took over, it was slowly reopened, uh, specifically because of the discrete work of Vatican diplomacy. So as a child in um, the Carpathian Mountains, when I first went to St. Anthony of Padova, um, as the church reopened, that image stayed with me to date. And so I thought that this uh, very early background and personal experience, again, not well known in our days, the work that the the, the Vatican diplomacy did uh, in the communist period in the communist countries, it it should be somehow I had to pay tribute to it. So interestingly, let me say something and please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, You talked about kind of the nature of the work being very secret, um, being very kind of in the background, not being very flamboyant, very whatever, but that there is a tremendous amount of good work that the church is doing. I would say you said diplomatically, but also in some of the educational and healthcare uh, ministries that is done. Would you kind of say maybe there's a correlation between it being secret and the ability to get things done? Um, absolutely. Uh, I witnessed this firsthand in uh, Cuba. Uh-huh. Uh, as um, the um, uh, Catholic Church went in Cuba through different stages of suppression, and then uh, slowly uh, through um, uh, in the 1980s through uh, uh, Ospoliti, what was called opening towards uh, towards uh, the other world, um, um, the the uh, the churches I I, I discovered churches in uh, uh, in uh, uh, Cuba uh, which had in the background educational. Uh, 
rooms and gardens. And um, uh, the government uh, pretended it didn't exist. So uh, because the church was bringing, in fact, a major contribution to the overall system of education, and in addition provided the the needy with uh, uh, food, with with medicine, uh, it, it created a strong element of stability, which was implicitly and tacitly recognized by the government. Ah, that's that is that is very, very interesting, but not necessarily recognized overtly. Right, um, not recognized overtly because. Um, uh, uh, the, the the in general the uh, the church doesn't brag about uh, about the uh, these achievements right right so it's interesting you mentioned cuba i have a particular interest in cuba because the first parish i was in in new york was one of the places where some of the the early uh refugees from cuba left in the 1960s so I had a particular interest, and I had the opportunity to go to Cuba a few times. And one of the times I went was on the trip that uh, Pope John Paul II went when right. he went there, and it was a it was a very very interesting uh, experience to kind of be part of that trip. Yes, uh, right. Uh, that was. Um... An exceptional trip. I uh, I followed that. Uh, I, I was not there. I didn't go to Cuba at the time, uh, but um, I was able to speak to uh, different uh, uh, participants, uh, both uh, uh, local uh, and uh, also from the papal entourage. And uh, the the way it, that 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 uh, trip came about, it was first. Uh, because the uh, Castro regime never interrupted the diplomatic relations with the Vatican uh, throughout the uh, the most uh, difficult times for the church in Cuba. Uh, second, Pope uh, John Paul II stated very clearly that the church should not become an opposition party and keep away from the politics, which uh, gave sufficient security to the Castro regime uh, not to totally repress the, the the church. And slowly, the church gained space and was able to to come to the point where it has it has it's a very solid church uh, uh, in the universal church today. Ah, so yes, you're right. It was, and I I had the opportunity to go back to Cuba right before the pandemic uh, with Cardinal Dolan. He went on a trip there, and and as you say, the church is functioning there. There, it's open. There are masses, um, so it is a functioning church in Cuba. Right, <clears throat> it is. So let's move a little bit. Um, and recently, I mean, there's particularly the Holy See kind of established new relations with the nation of Oman. Can you speak to us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I, um, first, uh, as we look at the map, uh, to understand the value of this 
uh, new uh, relationship, diplomatic relations established between the Holy See, the Vatican, and you know, uh, let me, let me, Victor, let me interrupt you for a little bit because um, I had to look it up. So maybe some of our listeners could you just say a little bit about where Oman is and a little right. bit about the country. Exactly. This is what I was going to 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 say. So uh, uh, the why is it important that the Holy See establishes diplomatic relationship with the Sultanate of Oman? Where is Oman on the map? Should give a sufficient explanation or part of the explanation. Oman is on the Arabian Peninsula. I still look on the map. Together with six other uh, 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 countries, all Muslim, the Holy See already has diplomatic relationships with all except Saudi Arabia. So uh, to Oman, the establishing diplomatic relations with the Holy See, it gives, it elevates the stature of the country in the international community. And it uh, establishing diplomatic relations, Oman will send an ambassador to Rome, to the Holy See, and the Holy See announced that it will open a, an embassy, a nunciator in Oman. By having direct diplomatic relations with Oman, the Holy See diplomats in Oman will be able to move around and uh, help the Catholic community in Oman, there are some 55,000 uh, Catholics in Oman, mostly foreign workers from India, from the Middle East, from the Philippines. Uh, and the Holy See, therefore, having a good diplomatic relations with uh, uh, Oman and being able to move around, will be able to attend to the needs, the spiritual needs and, and humanitarian needs of these 55,000 Catholics. In so addition, in addition, I would say, yeah. the uh, relationship will allow the Holy See to further strengthen the relationship with the Muslim communities, with the Muslim uh, religious leaders. So uh, we're speaking with Victor Gayatan, who is a writer. He writes for Foreign Affairs magazine and National Catholic Register. Um, so the question which I ask, and it's a question based upon Ignorance, I just don't know. So, like, if there are six countries and five, there were not Saudi Arabia, but what happened? Why was Amman not? Why now? Why wasn't it before? Well, it's, it was so like there is a waiting line. You know, the circumstances are probably not sufficiently right. But there are seven countries, and Oman is the sixth country that has relationship. The right. only country that does not yet is Saudi Arabia. Now, uh, practically, um, I will point to one other very significant element. The uh, agreement was negotiated and signed by two very important diplomats at the United Nations. The Omani ambassador, uh, Mohammed uh, Al-Hassan, is a skilled internationally recognized uh, career diplomat. He has been a, an ambassador of the Sultanate of Oman 
to Russia for several years with also covering uh, Belarus and Ukraine and uh, Armenia and uh, uh, Moldova. So uh, this is this adds to the a relationship, indirect relationship that the Holy See um, um, is able to exercise with the Omani representative. And on the Vatican side, there is a, a well-known, uh, skilled uh, Vatican diplomat, Caccia, uh, Gabriele Caccia, who also has enormous, fascinating experience and has done extraordinary work in Lebanon. For nine years, during the at, at the height of the uh, ISIS um, uh, terrorist uh, period, so also the location, the fact that the, the this agreement is negotiated and signed at the United Nations, it elevates and it brings the United Nations up front, uh, elevating the mission of the United Nations to to uh, mediate for peace and uh, 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 and um, uh, harmony among states. Ah, now that that was very interesting because I mean I, you know I guess I don't know how I thought it was signed. I don't know whether they sent an email back and forth or whatever. But but I I never thought about that. But it being signed at the United Nations as you said does lift it up in many many ways. Um, let me move a little bit. So, I mean, Pope Francis has not been shy about commenting on international issues, whether primarily, I would say, not exclusively, but from the point of view of of social policy and uh, some social issues. Um, After 10 years, I mean, I know this is a broad question. Um, As a diplomat, has he done a good job, a bad job, or what's... What what are some of his successes? What are his some of his his failures? Well, uh, it depends uh, f- uh, with what lens we look at it. Your if lens. We, if we are objective, uh, we will notice uh, fascinating achievements. Okay. Uh, I will point, as you mentioned, the. Uh, um, the uh, uh, agreement between the United States and Cuba, which was facilitated and possible because of the direct uh, mediation of uh, of the Holy See through Pope Francis at a time when the two parties, the Cuban and the United States teams, uh, came to an impasse. It was President Obama who personally, personally solicited Pope Francis to intervene, and he did. He invited the two teams to Rome, spent one day in mediation with the two teams, and they came to an agreement which included the exchange of prisoners. So this is a clear, specific, uh, we call it success, that uh, uh, Pope Francis was able to to bring about. Um, I would also point to to the uh, South Sudan, uh, conflict, uh, which uh, a, a civil war um, that uh, led to hundreds, uh, over 600,000 deaths and millions of refugees. Now, uh, and, and it was unstoppable. Nothing pointed that uh, there might somehow at some point uh, someone would be able to intervene. United Nations couldn't handle that. United States, uh, the same, and, and Europe and so on. So what did Pope Francis do? First, he assembled the leaders of the other two most important uh, churches 
which could have some type of impact in South Sudan. The Archbishop of Canterbury and the leader of the Presbyterian Church, who are the two other influenced churches in South Sudan, and together called on the uh, warlords uh, from South Sudan, brought them to to the Holy See at Santa Marta, spent three days with them uh, mediating, and at the end of the third day, Pope Francis, in an emotional move, fell at his knees and kissed the feet of the warlords. It is a very moving moment. As a result, the warlords went back to South Sudan, formed a unity government, which held to date. Pope Francis kept his promise that he was going to visit South Sudan if they put together a unity government, which he did. He went last month to South Sudan. The South Sudan visit is also a historical visit because it is the first ecumenical visit. Pope Francis went to South Sudan, as he promised, together with the Archbishop of Canterbury and the leader of the uh, Presbyterian Church, which continued to influence positively the the implementation of the peace agreement. Ah, we're speaking with Victor Gayatan, who is a writer for... National Catholic Register and Foreign Affairs Magazine. We're talking about Vatican diplomacy and Pope Francis. So give us your take on China and the Vatican. All right. China. Uh, China would appear to be a controversial um, topic. Um, let's go back to the early Jean Paul II pontificate. Very interestingly, Jean Paul II, within weeks from election, wanted to know what's going on in China. And he called two missionaries who have spent time in China, one American and one Belgian. And from them, I learned that Jean Paul II wanted to know about the official church. He said, we know sufficiently about the underground. Go back, mingle with the official church, mingle with the government, and we want to learn as much as possible about the official church. And they went back and forth and back and forth and reported to the Holy See. So the relationship that the Holy See wanted to establish with China in order to bring unity between the official church and the so-called underground church was a continuous policy and work beginning with Jean Paul II. It went on, it had ups and downs, uh, it had an interruption during Benedict XVI, and then as Pope Francis stepped in in 2013, he immediately relaunched this dialogue between the representatives of the Holy See and who, who have been the early in the early team of Jean Paul II's team. Uh, it, it launched the uh, relaunched the, the dialogue. Two 
be able to sign an agreement in 2018, it's not disclosed, renewed in 2020 and renewed in 2022. Now, what we know about the agreement and we see results, it's the, the what is at stake? What is at stake? It is preservation, preservation of the sacraments and the continuity of bishopry in China. So the agreement provides that the Chinese authorities will submit a list of bishops to the Holy Father, and he will have the ultimate say. And since the agreement, this uh, uh, provisional agreement of 2018, there have been six bishops that have been recognized by both the uh, Beijing government and the Holy See. Is this a success? We cannot talk in terms of success when we come to uh, to the church, to the work of the church. It is a different reality. <clears throat> what Pope Francis keeps repeating, tells us, is the role and the duty of the church is to begin processes. And in the process of of in the evolution of, of that work, the Holy Spirit will step in and lead to the to an outcome. The the uh, 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 there is uh, the a, a result cannot be uh, predicted. What exactly will happen? We we, had, we don't have that power to establish the the, the, the final uh, results. This is what Pope Francis's beliefs is. So, it's, Professor, uh, so Victor Gaetan. Uh, he is a writer for National Catholic Foreign Affairs and has made us smart today about Vatican diplomacy in various parts of the world. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on Just Love. I really appreciate it. I became a lot smarter and I hope someday you'll come back and join us again. Thank you, uh, Monsignor Sullivan. Thank you so much for inviting me. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. Our world will be more just, it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Welcome back to Just Love, and thank you for being with us this week. Join us again next week. And in between, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more compassionate. On the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.